Good morning. Are you all right? Good, good. Good to have a conversation with 100-odd people. Um, We are continuing our series on the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, I thought the reading would be a bit short if it was just said, peace. Um, So we've got a little bit more than that. Now, now I... uh, when I think about the word peace, there's a, there's a scene from a movie that keeps on coming to my mind, and hopefully it'll work, because the PowerPoint went completely doolally this morning at the 9.15. So it might work, or it might not, and I might look like a fool. Never mind, but let's see. I would have to say world peace. Definitely world peace. That's easy. World peace. World peace. What is the one most important thing our society needs. That would be harsher punishment for parole violators, Stan. (laughs) And world peace. There we go. You can't argue, can you? And that's that's the joke behind it, is that everybody wants world peace because it's this idealized loveliness that exists and and that's i don't know i just think that's really funny so it has nothing to do with the sermon i just thought it's funny um no but we can't argue with that so i don't know what your image of and here we go again peter you're going to work some magic okay i don't know what your image of peace is there's going to be some amazing images appear in a few moments time um maybe it's when you think of peace you think of the the hippie kind of image, you know, peace out, man, um, joining hands together around the world, maybe doing some meditation in front of a, a big lake, maybe it's tranquility and serenity, perhaps it's, you know, the, the Greenham Common protesters are nuclear-free in the nuclear-free zone, maybe it's because I, I really appreciate, um, commonly termed the Chuckle Brothers, that was Martin McGuinness and uh, Ian Paisley, because these two enemies got eventually came together. Maybe that's your image of peace. It certainly is one of mine. Or it's John Lennon sitting in his bed having a sleep-in protest. That was clever. Okay, Peace out, man. Maybe that's your image of peace. You know, I don't know whether it was uh, Mandela or a guy called Philip Woolen or Luther King that said something along the lines of, peace is more than the absence of conflict. It's the presence of justice. Yes, nod and agree, but I think it's even more than that. Much more than that. We're looking at Galatians 5 and 22 over these next uh, number of weeks, and we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit. It's singular, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, mumble, 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 and self-control. Okay? We're looking at peace this morning. So what is it? Well, the Greek word is a word called irene. Okay, irene. I'll not ask David if it's true. Um, Irene is peace. And it's the Greek translation of a Hebrew word, which we all know, every Christian cliche, shalom. I don't know, has anyone ever greeted you like that? Shalom, brother. And you kind of go, sorry, don't speak Hebrew. Um, But it is a common greeting in Israel. And and, in Hebrew, it's shalom, peace be with you. It's also a derivative in Arabic. It's salam alaikum, alaikum salam. It means peace be with you. Okay, so we're familiar with that, but it's so much more than just I hope you're feeling at ease with yourself. The Hebrew word shalom is about wholeness. It's about completeness. It's about this common terminology we know today, well-being. It's much bigger 
than the absence of conflict. So much more. Now, just a reminder that the fruit of the Spirit is not just that wishing I could be better at being more patient or whatever. These are the consequences, the results, the effects of the Holy Spirit growing God's character within us. And those are some of the characteristics that we seek for the Holy Spirit to grow within us. And it's the same with peace. And this morning I want to look at three aspects of peace that is grown within us by the Holy Spirit. First of all, I want us to look at peace with God, then the peace of God, and then peace from God. So we go to the first one, peace with God. More than ever, it's clear there's a popular desire and need for peace. This isn't just about international peace and global uh, political diplomacy. It's about something inside. It's about that, that inner peace. And I think my PowerPoint's going to go crazy again, but that's okay. Peter can sort it out for me. Whether it's that inner peace that people are desperate for in today's culture particularly. And there are loads of workshops, techniques, therapists, counselors, medications, books, meditation. All these things play a part to satisfy that need that people have for the sense of inner peace. That shalom, that wholeness, that well-being. And I believe, and I've experienced it, and I've seen it in people's lives even recently, show that real inner peace, to deal, to have real inner peace, you must deal with the fundamental aspect. You're going to need to restart it again, Peter, I think. The fundamental and, and root cause of disquiet in the human soul, and that is a disjoint with the Father's heart. Augustine wrote this, you have made us for yourselves, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Is that something that you identify with around the people that you work with, live with, socialize with? That there's a restlessness at the moment for so many different reasons. Well, Augustine, writing only a few hundred years after Jesus, says, you, God, have made us for yourself, and we are restless until we get that relationship sorted out. At the very heart and root of this unease and desire for peace is a disquiet between us and God. We must deal with the fact that the original breakdown and agitator of the relationship with God is sin and self. We have turned our back on our Creator and His ways. It seems like an obvious thing for someone to say at the front of church, but sin and selfishness is a root cause of breakdown of relationships and a root cause for the lack of wholeness, of well-being, of shalom. That's why the greeting in the Hebrew Bible is for people to have peace, to have wholeness, because that is the hope and the desire of God. All that leads to a lack of peace stems from sin and sinfulness, selfishness and desire for your own way and not God's. Humanity has a broken relationship with its Father, one which we cannot fix on our own, no matter how hard we try. But thankfully, he good. Ah, bah humbug. <laughs> Jesus breaks the barriers. He bridges the chasm. He joins the hands and he satisfies the requirements. He has 
a foot in both camps, and he is the unbreakable link between ourselves, sinful humanity, and God, our loving Father. We read about it in Colossians 1, 19-22. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, by making shalom in heaven. Sorry, making shalom through his blood shed on the cross. We can have peace with God as an actual reality because of what Jesus has done. Now, you may be sitting there going, yeah, I know that. I know that well. But maybe you you remember those um, movies where um, the hero or, I don't know, the protagonist is on, you know, got a death sentence, and they say, have you made your peace with God? Or make your peace with God. Actually, I can't make peace with God. Peace was made for me. And peace was made for you. That wholeness, that completeness, that well-being is something that Jesus achieved on the cross. This, this is the message that we have been given. This is the gospel. This is the good news that regardless of what situation you are in, you can have that real fundamental peace with God, which is broken in the majority of the world. So the question I ask, whether you are new to church, whether you've been here for 50 years, do you have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ? Do you have it? Amen. Do you have it? Do you know it? And more than that, do you live it? Is it a reality in your life, a peace with God, that Jesus has won for you? Peace with God, sins forgiven, life restored, hope given, an ongoing relationship with God the Father through the present work of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is the shalom of God with God, made possible through Jesus Christ. Because the peace with God achieved by Jesus is an objective truth, a reality. And if you have peace with God, then surely you can also experience the peace of God. Amen. <laughs> we rehearsed that for hours. <laughs> but he stated that the basic need for humanity is to acquire peace with Father God. But yet even amongst Christians, even amongst those who have peace with God, there are still so many without inner peace. And we just need to look at our world and we see that that's a reality, particularly in our Western developed progressive culture where everything's getting better, isn't it? Yeah, that chuckle gives it away. In so many ways, we are so blessed. We are getting better. But why is there this brokenness within people, this desire for peace because it's lacking? We just need to see the evidence. And we've spoken about this a number of times. And we're not afraid to keep talking about it. But there is a mental health crisis at the moment. I need to say everybody has mental health. You may not be aware of it. But you have mental health. In the same way as you've got body health. Some people just struggle with it sometimes. Sometimes for a very long time. Sometimes situationally. Sometimes for a few periods of time. But increasingly... There is a disquiet in the heart of humanity in Western culture. And I think the poor state of our mental and emotional health, I believe, is a consequence, at least in part, of the incessant world of immediate dissatisfying distractions around us. 
A dizzying bombardment of messages, images, ideas, beliefs, opinions, criticisms, demands, pressures, worries, just noise. It's loud out there, isn't it? It's just noisy. Even when it's quiet in your house and you're surfing the net, it's screaming at you. When you're driving down the road and there are placards and, and, and billboards and there's shops all advertising, shouting at you that you need something to give you more to this life. Noise, noise, noise. It often feels like there's no escape. With societal norms being questioned, challenged uh, or dismantled, sometimes appropriately so, but it still feels it's being dismantled. A landscape of relative morality or a plurality of moralities. That's out there. There are fewer and fewer anchor points for our culture that make us feel secure. And hence, we have a crisis going on of insecurity and lack of shalom. We need to make a brave decision to switch off the noise. I'm not just talking about disconnecting your internet, but actually consciously choosing not to listen to the noise, to refuse to listen to the cultural soundtrack, which in one moment builds you up to say you are the most important person in the world ever, and then suddenly tells you that you are a nobody in the same breath. That's the cultural matrix we're being bombarded with. We need to switch it off and remind ourselves who we are in Christ. We are loved. We are valued. We are bought at a price. We are redeemed. We are forgiven. We are adopted. We are accepted by a loving God. We need to stop to recover our identity in God. Remembering, first of all, who He is and the promises He has given us. In Isaiah 26, this is one of the first verses that came to mind when I thought about this, uh, this sermon, is this promise that you, God, will keep in perfect shalom those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. What keeps us in shalom? A trust in God. Now this takes more than a peace and quiet or a stunning landscape. Have you ever stood beside a really calm and pleasant lakeside or pond? Yeah? And you just feel relaxed, don't you? And you know that it's peaceful, calm, and serene. Yeah? Or am I the only person who's done that? <laughs> it's lovely, isn't it? But then we forget that underneath the surface, there's a whole other world going on, sometimes quite barbaric, certainly busy, certainly vibrant, and maybe sometimes violent, below the surface of the calm surface at the top. Because an outer peace is situational, circumstantial, and changeable. But inside, there could be an awful lot going on that is ill at ease. And we may not achieve world peace until the Prince of Peace returns on earth. We won't achieve international peace while selfish ambition trumps selfless good. But we can have peace within the world, regardless of whether the surface is calm or in turmoil. And that's why we look at Mark 4, 35 to 41, a really familiar passage. Jesus calming the storm. It's a great story of Jesus' power, isn't it? The fact that he is woken by the disciples and he stands up and he tells the elements to keep quiet and it calms down. 
But so easily we just focus on the miracle. That that was the whole point of the story. Jesus showing his power over the elements. Actually, I wonder if we sometimes miss this very powerful, potent, and subtle fact that's going to come up on screen. It really will come up on screen, but I'll tell you what it is. Jesus slept. We go straight to the miracle, because that's the fun, shiny bit, but Jesus slept. Now, it could be because he was exhausted. Often, you know, we read that Jesus was exhausted, and he wanted to get away to have a bit of a break. And uh, I don't know... uh, about you, there was a couple of years ago, there was a really violent thunderstorm that lasted pretty much the whole night and kind of just stayed over Skipton for the whole night. It was glorious and terrifying at the same time, some nods of agreement. Um, The next morning, there's six of us in our house, five of us had big droopy eyes because we had hardly slept. One of us, I'm not going to tell you who, it wasn't me, um, bright as a button, (laughs) I had a really good night's sleep, what are you guys on about? And they had not heard a single rumble of thunder. I mean, I'm talking about house-quaking thunder. And they'd slept the whole way through it. Jesus slept through this tumultuous storm that was terrifying fishermen who were used to being on the Sea of Galilee when it was storming. He slept through it. He only woke up because the disciples kept on waking him, pushing him, saying, will you wake up? They were convinced the storm was going to be the end of them. Because Jesus had, here in a literal storm, and throughout his life, even when his life was threatened, he had a quiet confidence in God. A calm confidence and tranquility of the soul in God. Isn't that a great definition of shalom? A quiet confidence doesn't matter about the size of the storm. doesn't matter about the trial or the difficulty. It's to do with who God is. That's where the quiet confidence came from. Because storms will come. Difficulties will come. And don't believe any of this nonsense that you come to Christ and everything's all right and rosy. Because Jesus debunked that in John 16.33. When he said, in this world you will have trouble. You will. I'm not mis-selling here like PPI. You're going to have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome this world. This world you will have trouble. One reading of the Acts of the Apostles. And you see that throughout even the birth of the church and the early years of the church, there was an awful lot of trouble. You will have trouble. But take heart. One of my favorite Psalms of all time, actually, was, I quoted it a couple of weeks ago whenever I was leading worship, is Psalm 46. And you can turn to it if you want, but this, the most famous part of it is in verse 10, which is, Be still and know that I am God. Now, you put that into a search engine for images, or if you go in to look for a poster of it, invariably you'll have, Be still and know that I am God, and the image beside it will be of a tranquil lake, or bunny-hopping lambs, or, or serene doves floating around in a beautiful blue sky. Because be still and know that I am God. That is totally wrong. If you read Psalm 46, God says, be still and know that I am God, in the midst of basically a war zone, where he breaks the bow and he shatters the spear, which are not quiet activities. Why 
would I say to you guys right now? So God says, be still in the midst of turmoil. In the midst of the storm, he says, be still. Be still and what? Be still, don't worry, it's going to be all right. Be still because no matter what happens, it'll be fine. He says, forget that. Be still and know that I am God. It is possible that within the hardest of times, the most challenging of situations, the scariest of life events, it is possible to be still and to know that he is God. And we know of those stories. We maybe even experienced it ourselves. Whenever someone we know or maybe ourselves have been in a situation where all, to all intents and purposes, it should be going crazy. It is going crazy. But yet the person still has a deep confidence in God. Philippians 4 uses it flowerily. It says, a peace that passeth understanding. In our speak, a peace that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. You're going through this turmoilic time, but yet you're still calm and confident in God. That doesn't make human sense. It is possible to know this peace, this shalom that doesn't make sense. Why? Because of this. Have a look. Keep looking. Yes, this is not an optical illusion. That is a man dancing while his pint is completely stable. Okay? This is called the gyroscopic effect. I would explain the physics to you, but, you know, I don't understand them. But essentially, these are the, this is the technology behind the steady cam. If you, if you see at football or sporting events, um, people with this kind of strange contraption that keeps the camera steady. In fact, we, we have one that we used um, during Do You Know Him as well. That you, you can go around and the camera stays still. Even if you go up and down and round and round, it stays steady. Lots of physics, lots of equations, but it does. It stays a steady point, even if all around it is moving around. Surely that's a picture of Jesus in the storm. The steady point in the midst of the storm. Remember Jesus was still in the boat on the rocking sea. Getting soaked, getting rolled around by the wind. But his calm confidence was this. That God was bigger than any storm. That was his quiet confidence. God was bigger than any storm. And so the disciples wake him up. And maybe we think that, um, we'll go back one whole second. Maybe we think that Jesus calming the storm was him kind of showing his disciples how powerful he was. I think he was proving to them where his quiet confidence was, which is that I know that my God is bigger than the storm. And to prove it to the disciples, he got up and he told the elements to shut up. And they did. It was proof of why he could lie asleep on a cushion in the middle of a storm. Because Jesus would have ridden out the storm. He would have got to the other side, and so would the people in his boat and those in the other boats. They wouldn't have been spared the storm because storms will come. But he will get to where God wants him to be. Remember the fruit of God's spirit, peace, shalom, doesn't make sense. So we have the peace with God. Maybe you've experienced that peace with God. You know it as a reality. 
Perhaps you have experienced the peace of God in the most tumultuous of circumstances. So the final thing I want to ask is, do you have peace from God? The fruit of the Spirit, as we said, is the growing characteristics of God. Now, um, maybe some of you saw earlier, my son Owen was here, um, and you know my my son Reuben. Um, Whenever they um, went to the secondary school to Ermistead's, Owen's just started, um, I'd already been for a few years doing uh, assemblies and stuff, and one of the teachers, whenever Reuben arrived, and also echoed whenever Owen arrived, said, tell you one thing, you don't need a DNA test, do you? I was looking for some photographs. There is a photograph of, of Reuben in his first year at Armistead's and, and Owen, who's just been started, and me in my first year at Grosvenor Grammar School in Belfast. And honestly, you put them together, you could play spot the difference, but you can't. <laughs> because we share family characteristics. They have bright red hair I used to. <laughs> family resemblance. We take on the family characteristics, don't we? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. If we are the children of God, we should have the family resemblance. And according to this, the family resemblance is that you are a peacemaker. And the word that's used is is irene or, or shalom, maker, crafter, builder, constructor, sculptor, artist, creator. Are you one of those? Because if we are children of God, that's the family resemblance. That we are peacemakers. We are bringers and carriers of shalom into whatever situation. So can people tell that you're related to the Prince of Peace? In the way that you act and react. Are you a peace constructor? Is the family resemblance growing in you? Because Paul writes about this in loads of places, particularly in Romans 12. He says, as far as it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace in shalom with everyone. First Thessalonians, live in peace with one another. Hebrews 12, make every effort to live in peace. 2 Corinthians 13, live in peace. 1 Peter 3.11, pursue peace. Pursue it. Go after it. Try your best to live in this manner with people. Try your best as far as you can. Do what you can, what's on your side to live in wholeness with one another, to live in well-being and peace with others. Well, what does that look like? Well, what it doesn't look like is a nice British facade of niceness, of civility, masking a seething resentment of hurt and gossip underneath a very gentle smile. That's not peace. I quoted earlier, whether it was Mandela or someone else, said, peace is not the absence of conflict, but the presence of justice. I prefer Ronald Reagan's quote. Peace is not absence of conflict. It is the ability to handle conflict by peaceful means. Because if we believe what Jesus says, trouble is a coming. Always will be. There will always be conflict. I was, um, I was reflecting on this, and I, I immediately went back to um, one of the most, one of the moments that I felt most proud of this church and the people who belong to it is when we were wrestling with what the vision was for us going forward, for this building, about what we should be focusing on for the next five, ten years, whatever. And we thought about it and we felt God was calling us to, to purchase the house and develop it into what we see it being. 
And there was division. There were people who really didn't agree with it. And there were people who really did agree with it. And that kind of thing has brought down churches. That thing has destroyed relationships in the past. And one of the things that we felt really strongly that we worked with the deacons about and we worked as a church about was the whole concept of disagreeing well. Because conflict exists. It doesn't need to be with a sword or a gun. It can be with an argument. It's existed today. My alarm goes off. My wife wakes up. She's not happy about it. That's conflict. How do you handle it? I am so pleased that actually, as a church, we have discerned the will of God for next door. And we have tried to remain unified. We haven't done it all the time. We've made our mistakes. All sides have. But we have tried to disagree well in love and in grace. It is not the absence of conflict, but it's handling conflict in peaceful, shalomic means. Remember the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22 says part of it is, is peace. These are counterpoised to verse 20, which lists all the things that are pretty nasty. So the fruit of Spirit counteracts hatred, discord, rage, dissensions, and factions. Shalom is an antidote to that. Peace within conflict, peace above conflict, because sometimes issues need confronting, not concealing. And I'm not talking about every little niggle that you get says, right, let's have, a very, uh, let's have an intervention about this. Um, whenever you spilt your coffee, I was really offended. Okay, we're not talking about that. So how do we know when to confront and when not to? Only if it is in the promotion of shalom. Only when it's in the promotion of shalom. Not victory, not vindictiveness, not putting someone else in their right place and getting things sorted so they know how annoyed I am. That's not shalom. Shalom is about creating the peace of well-being. Is it possible? Yes, it is. How? With openness, with honesty, vulnerability and humility, grace, discernment and courage, Always seeking the well-being of the other and not you. Ready to ask for and ready to give-ness. I mean, forgiveness. Ready to ask for it. Ready to give it. And that's where forgiveness comes from. So to have the fruit of the Spirit, the peace, shalom, arena, it's not meant to be kept private, like I'm a serene person. I've got it inside my heart. It's not just about being able to handle difficult situations. We are meant to be peace bringers and peace cultivators and constructors of well-being. And we're told this in 2 Corinthians 5. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And all this is from God. It's not from you. It's from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. We've covered that. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. This is not just about us playing a part in making two people make up if they've had a bit of a tiff. It's also not just about being involved in global diplomacy in order that nations can be reconciled. That's part of it. We have been given the ministry of reconciliation, of reconciling people back to God. That's what this passage is about. 
We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. When we're told to be peacemakers and to live at peace with people, to construct that shalom, it's about, let's get to the number of it. Let's not just shake hands and be nice to each other. Let's talk about where are you with God. Be reconciled with God as if Christ is making his own, his, his, his plea through you. Be reconciled to God. Fruit of the Spirit, remember, is the proof, the evidence, the consequence and the results of the living, vibrant activity of the Holy Spirit within you, growing you to become more and more like Jesus. That is the fruit of the Spirit, remember. And so here's our checklist. Peace with God. Is your relationship restored with God? Do you know that relationship closeness only made possible by the Lord Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. If you don't know it, then as Paul says, I plead to you to get sorted with God, to come before him and say, Jesus, I'm sorry, I want to know you. I want to have that restored relationship with you. And if you don't know that today, whether you've been in church 20 years or 20 seconds, get it sorted today. Because that is the central nugget of peace. Or maybe it's the peace of God do you have that quiet, calm confidence in who God is, his faithfulness, his goodness, and by extension, who we are in him? As the hymn writer said, we are ransomed, we are healed, we are restored, we are forgiven. That's who you are, not what the internet or the advertisers or culture tells you. You are ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. Knowing that God is our anchor point, our security, our peace, even within the darkest of storms. And what about peace from God? Are you increasingly a peacemaker or a troublemaker? Do you inflame a situation or do you engender shalom? Ask yourself that by nature. Are you playing your part in cultivating well-being in you and others' relationships? And are you seeking to help others fundamentally find their peace with God through Jesus Christ? This is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. This is peace. And so in conclusion, I want to share with you one of my favoritest jokes in the entire world. Give peace a chance. Amen. <laughs>